This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Kenyonkahage Nation in Chochage, also known as Montreal, Quebec, the original lands of many First Nations, including the Kenyonkahage of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, Huron-Wendat, Abenaki, and Anishinaabe. To learn what land you're on, go to native-land.ca. Welcome back. Happy to have you here. I'm very excited about today because we're going to be talking about one of my favorite things to discuss and it is definitely a very broad concept. It has a lot of layers to it, a lot of historical implications, and I'm not going to get to everything, but the point of this episode is just to kind of introduce an idea that is the foundation for a lot of the functioning of today's society and Understanding this concept can really help you to better understand a lot of other things about the functioning of modern society and historical and yeah, it's I think it's just like a really good thing to know if you're interested in better understanding the functioning of systems and institutions and how this works into norms and societal expectations and roles and all that fun stuff. I also, before I jump in, want to preface this by saying that a lot of the general concepts and ideas that I am going to be talking about, I've learned in my courses from university. There are three main sources that I used to kind of put this episode together, and the first one is called The Five Sexes by Anne Fausto Sterling. Uh, The next one is Who's on Top by Kate Bornstein. I've talked about Kate in a previous episode, the What the Fuck is Gender episode. I love them. I think they're brilliant. I love reading their stuff. And so that's the second one. And then the last one that I'm going to be referencing and pulling some ideas from is Ambiguous Sex or Ambivalent Medicine. And that's by Alice Dahmer Dreger. And so those are the three texts that I'm going to be pulling some main concepts and ideas from. I think you can maybe access some of them online, like they might have PDFs, but I access them through my university course reserves, and so I'm not sure if they will be totally accessible to anyone online. But I do know that Kate Bornstein's book, uh, My Gender Workbook, which is what Who's on Top is from, I do know that you can just buy that online. I don't think that Indigo, Chapters Indigo sells it. That's usually where I get my books if I'm ordering them online. But you can probably find it somewhere else. I would really recommend getting that one if you're really interested in gender and binaries and that whole shabam of of stuff. I love, love, love reading Kate's work, as I said before. So I would recommend that one. I also think you could probably find both The Five Sexes and oh you know what ambiguous sex or ambivalent medicine is an article and so maybe i'll link that in the description um so you can check it out if you want uh but yeah those are the three references that i'll be kind of touching on and referring to a few times during this episode so if you want to check those out go for it i will put them all in the description of this episode so you can look into them if you want and without further ado let's start talking about foucault's concept of biopower So before I start talking about the actual concept, I'll introduce Foucault a little bit. So Michel Foucault was a writer, a philosopher, political activist, 
and just generally had a lot to say about knowledge and power and the relationship between knowledge and power and how both power and knowledge are used as a form of social control through institutions of society. That's like kind of a paraphrased version of what Wikipedia says. <laughs> um, that's that's Foucault. He's very, very big in gender studies classes and sexuality studies classes, also philosophy. If you've taken any philosophy courses, you've definitely heard his name before. He had a lot of really interesting ideas, especially about power and how power functions within institutions and how that affects everyday life. And I I don't know, I have mixed feelings about Foucault because I read a lot of him just because of my classes that I've taken. And it does get a little bit exhausting reading him. It's pretty heavy, pretty dense, but I do find his concept of buyer power to be incredibly fascinating and I love talking about it. And that's why I'm making a whole episode on it. <laughs> so that's Foucault. His concept of biopower in a very basic definition Biopower is the idea of having power over bodies. It's a power that governs populations, their actions, their identities, their expressions, their behaviors, their relationships. It manages people, it manages populations, and it regulates identity, and it defines normativity. It's all about control. It's all about having the state having power over the population, however that shows up. So achieving biopower relies on the creation and the maintenance of institutions that value certain populations over others. So for example, systems that value men over women, value whiteness over blackness, value cisgender people over trans people. And we can see how these values show up in our institutions all throughout our society. We can see it in law enforcement, in education systems, within the legal system, the incarceration system. It's everywhere. It's literally everywhere. We can see biopower in every single one of these systems when we understand the colonial and heteropatriarchal roots of these institutions. When we look at the history, when we see how society has been built with colonialist values, with patriarchal values, with heterosexist values, at the root of all of these institutions, that's what's there. And these roots have shaped these institutions into what they are today. They allow them to function in incredibly dehumanizing ways because that's literally what they were built upon. So of course that's how they're functioning because that was the whole point to begin with. The thing about recognizing biopower is that you can't always recognize it, especially if you're in a position of privilege, because it disguises itself as protecting populations when really it's a way to dictate non-normativity and regulate identity, all in the interests of colonial capitalist and patriarchal forces. And that's where kind of the sneakiness of biopower lies, is because it disguises itself as being a protective thing. It tells you that it's protecting you, that it's keeping you safe. It is keeping things normal and happy and healthy for everybody. But in doing so, it's erasing and silencing and marginalizing so many groups of people. And so the only people that are 
so-called protected are the people that are most privileged. And so that's white people, that's cisgender people, that's straight people, that's people without disabilities, that's people living in middle, upper class status. It's all of these people that don't have to worry about their identities being erased because their identities are what is controlling and shaping norms of society. So what I mean by that is because systems of power, because institutions like law enforcement and the education system and all of these things that we live under, they're shaped to benefit a very specific type of population while exploiting anything that exists outside of that population. And that population, like I said before, is made up of white people, it's made up of straight people, cisgender people, middle upper class people, non-disabled people, all of these identities that are so-called normal. And this idea of normal has been defined by these institutions that are rooted in colonialism and are rooted in patriarchy and white supremacy. So the way that we understand, the way that we define normal is based on this institutionalized prejudice towards literally anything that exists outside of the white, heterosexual, cisgender, middle-upper-class box. So this is what helps biopower to function, and this is what it relies on, because it needs institutions to exist and to be able to reproduce themselves and stay in power that value these privileged populations over more marginalized populations. And it needs to create that separation, that division between these populations in order to define non-normativity. So if we want to examine how biopower functions and how it's able to survive within governing systems, we have to talk about the idea of biopolitics, which takes me to our next point. So this idea of biopolitics, which is another thing that Foucault discusses a lot, is a type of government that controls populations through biopower. So we can talk about medicine, which deals with the body, and politics, which deals with populations. So since medicine and politics are so intertwined, we get the idea of biopolitics, where ideas of the body become intertwined with ideas about politics. So medicine, body, politics, populations, together, biopolitics. So the interconnectedness between medicine and politics creates the idea of biopolitics, which is a type of government that controls populations by having power over their bodies. And so the functioning of biopolitics creates understandings of gender and sexuality and race. These concepts all get tangled up in the power of medicine and the power of politics. So these two forces, medicine and politics, work together in order to regulate identity, in order to establish a sort of norm to compare everything else to. So this is how the sex gender binary was created of creating the idea of a normal sexual identity being a cisgender man or a cisgender woman and having no nuance, no fluidity in between there. We can also see how the functioning of biopolitics changes with modernity and how it changes how people express themselves, how gender roles are presented, depending on what's currently socially accepted and mainstream. This makes biopolitics shift in different ways. And so, for example, we can look at gender roles and how much those have shifted even within the past like 20 years of having the traditional heterosexual couple with the man being the breadwinner and 
the woman staying at home. We can see how much that's shifted. And so that's also shifted the narrative of biopolitics and how the government reacts to different gender roles and how the sort of norms are being shifted gradually and also very slowly. I'm not saying we have made a shit ton of progress because there's definitely a lot still there to be done. But there has been a shift in the narrative and the kind of expected norm of the structure of family and gender roles and gender in relation to work and all of this stuff. And so that in turn has also shaped how the government treats populations in regards to that kind of sphere. So going back to my point about understandings of gender and sexuality and race being tangled up in the power of medicine and politics, we can see this in history. If we look back at history, this is what created the sexual division of labor, And the sexual division of labor just very basically is what separated different types of work as inherently male or female. And this is partly what created the concept of gender roles, with women being the housewife whose job it was to clean and cook and care for the children at home, while men worked in business and brought home money for the family, making him the sort of head of the house. And so this is all also tied up with history of the birth of the private and public spheres, also known as the separation of the home and the workplace, which deemed housework is not really work, and that's a whole other conversation to have. But very basically, the understanding of gender and sexuality at that time shaped the functioning, the very structure of the workplace in comparison to home life. And so it created this division between men and women, with men at work and women at home. And that in turn created our understanding of gender roles and how women were just expected to be at home and men were expected to go to work and that was somehow inherently natural, which again is a whole other conversation. I don't want to get too off track here, but this is just an example of how we can see biopolitics functioning within history and how it shaped kind of universal mainstream understandings of gender and sexuality. I want to get into talking a little bit about the history of body regulation, and I want to talk about it in the context of intersexuality, which comes from the article I was telling you about ambiguous sex or ambivalent medicine, which explores the sort of anatomical medicinal aspect of identifying intersexuality. And just to give like a quick definition of what intersexuality is, if you haven't heard the term before, it's a really, really general term used for a bunch of different situations where someone is born with reproductive or sexual anatomy that doesn't fit into the typical expected binary of either male or female genitalia. And so it could be having, for example, one testy and one ovary or testes in some aspects of female genitalia, but no ovaries or ovaries in some aspects of male genitalia, but no testes. Like there's literally infinite possibilities for what somebody's genitalia might be. And the term intersexuality kind of bugs me a little bit because it's still defining someone's genitalia in relation to the male-female binary. So it's comparing someone's genitalia, someone's anatomy to a very rigid understanding of what sexual anatomy is supposed to look like and how it's supposed to function. And so what this does is it just alienates everyone who doesn't have that traditional binary of male or female explicitly obvious anatomy. 
So this is another representation of biopower and how it functions. And we can see the relationship between medicine and politics coming together to create this idea of what gender is supposed to be, what your sexual organs are supposed to look like, and how this relates to identity and how you're accepted and how doctors are going to treat you. What typically happens with cases of intersexuality is a doctor will assign a typical gender the physician will basically decide whether your genitalia looks more male or female and then go from there and a lot of non-consensual surgeries have been done in order to make someone's genitalia look either male or female and that is a whole other conversation to have i might do a whole episode on this i'm not sure just of not giving the child their own agency, their own autonomy to make that decision for themselves and to just grow up as intersex and not have to have that very specific looking type of genitalia simply because the physician has the power to either remove or add on to your genitalia as they please. And the reason they have this power is because of biopower. It is because they're working in an institution that values so-called normativity over non-normativity. This is what allows them to make decisions about somebody's genitals without their consent. This is what allows them to regulate that person's gender and to tell them what is normal and what is not normal. Because these physicians' decisions about assigning a specific gender to the child who is intersex their approach is based on an anatomically strict psychosocial theory of gender identity. It's such a limited understanding of what gender is. And that's robbing that child from so much of their life, so much of their expression, their individual identity, simply because it's not what's accepted. It's not what's normal. Something that ambiguous sex or ambivalent medicine talks about is the kind of point that a lot of people make saying that all children must have an early fixed gender identity in order for their genitals to be successful, in order for them to have standard anatomy. And the thing with that is it's all based on ideas of how things should be. It's not an actual concern for the child. It's a concern for them conforming to normativity and for them to appear to be like the rest of everybody else. The focus is on appearing male or female and avoiding being abnormal. It's not about the health and happiness of the child. It's about normativity. This biopolitical construction of sex, which involves so many intersecting dimensions of gender and race and sexual identity, this is all such a reflection of power and force that serves to regulate identities under the guise of protection and taking care of the child and just wanting them to be happy. And this is a way to just control people. It's a way to regulate sexuality in order to keep it in that nice pretty little box of normal. And this is just the controlling of sex. It's erasing any form of embodied sex that doesn't conform to male or female heterosexual standard of identity. Like I said before, its focus is on appearing male or female. It's not actually about helping the child discover their gender identity and helping them express that. And if you remember, this is what I was saying near the beginning of the episode, is that biopower disguises itself as protecting populations, as protecting people, 
when really it's just trying to control you and your identity. And this is what we can see in cases of intersexuality and how physicians play a role in determining an individual's sexual and gender identity. And how so often the argument is that it's just so that they can grow up and have a normal childhood and be accepted, when really it's just, nope, we just want to make you conform to this very fixed binary of what we think is the right thing for you. This is also like the idea of anything being out of the norm has to be something, has to be treated as something to be fixed. And so if you're born with ambiguous genitalia, whatever the hell that means, It's something that needs to be cured. You need to go through a surgery. You need to go through all of these things in order to fix your genitalia. But the only reason that we see it that way is because it's outside of this very, very fixed binary norm of what genitalia is supposed to be. And that is being dictated and maintained and reproduced and naturalized by the institutions that shape the functioning of our society. Some really important questions to ask within this kind of conversation of biopower and how it shows up in different places. Like I was talking about physicians and medicine in relation to intersexuality and stuff like that. But we have to ask questions of how biology comes into forms of power, how it shows up in these different institutions that we live under and that we learn under. And how are we going to react to this? What is our relationship with this biopower and how do we respond to it and I don't have any answers for you those are just some questions that maybe I'll leave you to sit with because I think that if we think about it if we have some conversations we can actually come to better understand how to tackle these systems and how to understand them in a way that helps us to dismantle them and helps us to really recognize them for what they are and what they're trying to do I think the main idea that I really want to get across in this, and this is something that comes up in The Five Sexes, is that the central focus of biology and the central focus of politics should be on preserving life and not managing it. So in the context of intersexuality, preserving life should be the goal of making sure the child is healthy in whatever way that shows up and not managing their genitals because it's what will make them look normal. The emphasis should be on making their life, their quality of life, the priority, and not making the appearance of their genitals the priority. Because in the end, that is not what matters. What matters is the happiness and the well-being and the health of this child. And yes, gender expression and sexuality and everything having to do with identity absolutely plays a role in that but we need to be conscious of how we're treating those aspects of identity especially in the early developing years of children and how that's going to impact them in the long run and so in considering this we really have to pay attention to how biopower functions within systems of medicine within systems that are a part of a child's life are part of not even just children just our lives in general how our identity is being treated within systems of power so in the incarceration system in the legal system in the education system how are we being taught how are we being treated and how does this reflect forces of power Reflecting on these questions, I think, is the key to understanding where to go next in figuring out the very complicated, very, very layered structures of institutions and how we fit into these institutions. 
And this is going to be different for every single one of us. It's going to be different based on your identity, how you're presented to the world, how you interact with the world, how the rest of the world perceives you. There's so many layers of intersectionality that are so vital to understand and to recognize and to be aware of when we're trying to better understand our unique position within systems of power. I feel like I've left you with enough shit to sit with for today. I think that this episode was a little bit on the heavier side in terms of how much information I was spewing at you, and I'm hoping that it came off in an understandable, digestible way. I really hope that it did. I hope that you're sitting with some questions. I hope that you are maybe a little bit confused. I definitely feel a little bit more confused now that I have gone through all this information. And now I'm like, okay, what now? (laughs) Um, As always, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your thoughts, any questions or disagreements or anything that came up as you were listening. I love, love, love hearing from you. And so don't be shy. My DMs are always open. And I will leave all of the references that I talked about in today's episode in the description. If you want to check them out, I would highly encourage it. And if you want any more recommendations about resources for learning more about stuff like biopower, biopolitics. If you were really interested in the intersexuality stuff, I can give you some really cool videos and um, different articles and stuff to read that I found really, really useful when I was first learning about it. And so let me know if you are interested in those and we can chat about it. I suppose that's all for today, my friends. Thank you for sticking it out this long. I hope that you had fun and learned a little something And I will hopefully hang out with you again next week, virtually in this weird little corner of the internet that I have somehow created. (laughs) As always, thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week. Bye.